to the podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. Well, this is kind of fun for me because... um, this, okay, maybe you, you probably many of you know this, but I was born in Malaysia, you know, which is about as far as you can go on the other side of the world before you start coming back around. And uh, I say that all the time. I don't know. It's almost like habit. But um, so this is my first 4th of July as a full-blown citizen. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of a fun, it's kind of a fun thing. So um, last fall, went through the process, you know, and I, I'd had my, uh, you know, different student visas and then work visas, and then when Holly and I got married, I had the green card thing, had that for a while, and, and last fall decided, okay, it's time to kind of go through the process and, and, and do the thing, you know, so you prepare, you take this test, well, I don't know, maybe you don't know, you have to take this test, okay, you got to like memorize questions and stuff, and it, it was a pretty cool thing. And, uh, and so I just wanted to show you some pictures of it. Here's me, like, taking this oath. It's this office, you know, place in Denver. I'm taking the oath, swearing my life away. And then, uh, and then here's me standing in front of the flag after it's holding up the certificate. I mean, pretty cool kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and it really, it, it is remarkable because I grew up, and I, you know, if you've traveled and you've been to different parts of the world, you, you recognize this, but America has in many ways captured the imagination of people all around the world. And, and uh, for whatever you think about different elements of America or American culture or whatever, there's something about this, uh, uh, this idea of the idealism of America that uh, really is inspiring to people all around the world. And so uh, even as a kid growing up in Malaysia, there were things about uh, America that was sort of like, Ooh, wow, you know. And then when my family moved from Malaysia to live in the States um, when I was 10 years old and we lived in Oregon for three years, uh, there was something, you, you need a hand, bro? You okay? Uh, sorry, sorry, couldn't resist. Um, um, when, um, now I lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah, so, so we lived in the States for three years, and, and it was just such a cool thing for me as a kid. And like, wow, I can't believe I actually live here. And, and, uh, and then we moved back to Malaysia. And I missed so much being in America that I used to uh, get up in the morning and take my trumpet and play the Star Spangled Banner every morning, you know, just to sort of, you know, I was sort of a man with two countries. Um, and this, the idea, the, you know, me playing the trumpet, that's a whole other story in itself. But uh, we'll save that for another day. Um, but, okay, so, so I was familiar with American history and stuff like that. I've been in American school system stuff since middle school and high school and college and, and, and all of that. But there's something that happens to those stories when you become a citizen. And then all of a sudden you sort of feel like, okay, wait a second, those aren't just cool stories and legends and whatever of George Washington and never could tell a lie and all the different things that you have, the, the lore and the truth and all this stuff. Uh, all of a sudden it's not just cool stories, it all of a sudden becomes your story. It becomes part of my story. And, and maybe more precisely a way to say it is that I, I realize that now my story is wrapped up in this great story. Now, in a much, 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 much larger way, that's exactly what's happened with us when we come to Christ. Uh, we are, we're, we're coming in on a much larger story than we realize. And I think it's easy to forget that or to not recognize that because when we come to Christ, typically we come in very aware of our story, 
And we know why we came to Christ. I had this problem in my life or I had this situation and I needed help and so I came to God and He helped me. But then all of our Christianity is framed in this little itty-bitty lens. It's sort of me and it's, it's okay, so now that I've come to Christ, what's He going to do for me? You know, what's going to happen with my job and what's going to happen with my family and what's He going to do? What's in it for me? And okay, so I get out of hell and I get into heaven. Okay, well, that's pretty good, you know. And our whole uh, view of Christ and the Christian life is all about us and sort of what we get out of this. And certainly there is something amazing that we get to uh, uh, experience because of Christ and because of what He's done. But here's the thing, we're coming in on a much bigger story than we realize. We're coming in on a story that's pretty massive. We're coming in on a story that begins with God, the Creator God, making the heavens and the earth and calling it good. We're coming in on a story that when God saw that his creation, his good world began to be infected by evil, that he chose a family to start working his single sovereign saving plan to redeem all things. That's the story we're coming in on. We're coming in on a story that has a book like the Psalms. It's full of songs and prayers of the people of God saying to God, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. We want to see God reign. We're coming in on a story that has Isaiah say things like one day the creator God is going to put an end to war and injustice and set things right. We're coming in on a story of God's massive plan to rescue it all. We're coming in on a story that culminates in Jesus, about whom Peter says in Acts 3.21, look, Jesus came and he died and, Christ, and God raised him from the dead and, and, and he's waiting in heaven. When he returns, he will come and bring the final restoration of all things. Whoa. We're coming in on a story that has this ending where John sees this picture in Revelation 21 of Jesus saying, look, now I am making all things new. Look. It's coming to pass. In other words, when you and I come to Christ, we're coming in on a story that has a rich, rich beginning and a glorious future. And if we forget that, it's easy to imagine that we're kind of part of this drama and, and we're the kind of the main characters of the drama, you know, that this play is about us. And look, even Jesus comes on the stage for a few scenes to get us out of our little mess. And Paul, the letter, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is, uh, is perfectly set up to help us see this big story. And we've been saying this over the last couple of weeks. So the first three chapters is Paul giving us this macro view. And then in 4, 5, and 6, he'll tell us, okay, so, so that, because of that, with that in mind, here's how we should live. And here's, here's why our marriages matter. And here's why our work matters. And here's why all this stuff matters. Because, not because of it in itself, but because of how it fits into the massive story. Does that make sense? It's a remarkable thing what we've been included in on. We get to participate in God's single, sovereign, saving plan to rescue all things. That's awesome. That's a, and then all of a sudden your job is not just your job. Your marriage is not just your marriage. All of it is a piece of this massive story that God is working out through Christ. Isn't that amazing? And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 1.10, look, one day when, 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 the, when, uh, when the times have reached their fulfillment, all things in heaven and earth will be brought up in him. Well, Ephesians 2, 1 through 7 is our text for tonight. And we heard it read in the message, but I'm going to read it here in the NIV and then we'll jump into this, okay? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. I love how Paul's saying this. He, he, he's saying to us, look, there is a spirit, there is a principle, there's a ruler of the air, there's sort of this, there's a kingdom of darkness. And later on in the letter, he'll say, look, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, we wrestle against these principalities and powers. But, but look at what he says here that in verse 2, that, that that spirit is at work in the hearts of those who let him, basically, in the hearts of those who choose to be disobedient. But then he says, before you start pointing fingers, look, We're all numbered among those people. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, thank God, huh? Who is rich in mercy, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I had an aunt uh, growing up who, used to, who lived in the same town as we did in Malaysia and she and her husband, she and my uncle, uh, would come over and we'd have meals with them and they'd have meals with us and and uh, she used to say to me, I have, I have one older sister, and, and um, occasionally my sister and I would have a few, you know, squabbles, you know, just a few small little sibling things. And, uh, and my aunt used to always say when she was over with us, she'd say, hey, be a good boy, Glenn. You know, be a good, you know, don't fight with your sister. Listen to your mom and dad. Be a good boy. It, it was almost like, you know, eat your vegetables. Be a good boy, will you? And I was a relatively good boy. But here's the thing about my aunt. My aunt was a, a Hindu. And for most all of her life, she remained a Hindu. And then right before uh, she died, she came to the point where she surrendered her life to Christ. And we're so thankful for that. But why, what is that? I, I mean, maybe we're used to sort of hearing someone say, you know, be good. Because don't we have call, kind of in the back of our minds this Judeo-Christian ethic? I mean, if maybe in America, if you hear that, it's like, well, yeah, well, we're sort of this, we have Christian values that have shaped our culture and all that. Well, why would a Hindu say be a good boy? Well, you see, there are many religions in Malaysia. There's Hindus and there's Buddhists and there's Muslims and Christians are about 10, 12% of the population. And Malaysia, they, they get along pretty peacefully. I mean, we haven't really had religious riots or persecute, really, I mean, not, relatively speaking, it's been um, pretty, pretty good. There's, a, there's been a few things here and there over the last several decades. Um, but part of the reason everybody kind of gets along, even though they have such strong, deep-rooted uh, religious beliefs, is because there's this underlying assumption that isn't the goal of every religion to sort of make us good. That isn't sort of, you know, it doesn't matter where you worship, if you worship at the, temp- the Buddhist temple or the Hindu temple, you do, you know, it doesn't really matter because in the end isn't the point that all of us just become good. And so there is this kind of willingness to get along where we say, okay, look, I'm not really going to try to, you know, shove religion down your, your throat or anything so long as your religion's making you nicer. And that's kind of the underlying thought that, look, isn't this the, the, the point of it all, that we all just become nicer and better and good? Um, and some of you are sort of saying, no, that's not the point, right? Okay, well, then what is? Uh, where does this, 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 this thing of good behavior and all that, where does that kind of fit in? Because 
let's say hypothetically you meet someone who does not follow Jesus or does not claim to, you know, have surrendered their life to Christ, whatever. Let's say you meet someone, and, and what if, just, just imagine, what if that person was nicer to you than the people in church? <gasps> now that probably wouldn't really happen, right? But, but what if, like, the people you knew in church were backstabbing gossips and selfish and, you know, arrogant. And, and what if the people at your job were really kind and selfless? I mean, and so, so, so then what do we do with that? Well, if, if, if good behavior is kind of the point, then they seem to be doing just fine. And, 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 and so that, that sort of dilemma is what has um, caused some Christians to kind of say, like the popular bumper sticker um, says, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. And it's sort of this thing of like, look, I never said I was going to be nice to you. I just said I'm forgiven. Something's fishy about that, right? Like all of us think that's a little suspect. Okay, so maybe that's not quite right. But, 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 but then we have all this language that we're familiar with. And, and isn't there something about being transformed? And isn't there something about following Christ that's supposed to start showing up and, and, and changing us? But how do we think about all those things? The way that Paul seems to frame that conversation, at least in this chapter, is not by talking about, you know, being naughty or nice or being a good little boy or a good little girl. Or bad, you know, he's not framing it in those words. What he's, frame, he's almost reframing this to think through the grid of dead versus alive. That there, and, and he does say that, look, there is this thing where your, your, your actions, your sins, your transgressions, that's connected to your deadness, but the central issue is not first what you're doing, the central issue first is, are you dead or are you alive? Now, let's take these phrases bit by bit. This first phrase, we were dead. For, for Paul's audience, there, there's, a, there's a good chance that for anyone who is from a Jewish background that was listening to this letter being read and, and hearing that, a phrase like that, we were dead, it might have conjured up some images for them. Because this language, this dead versus alive language is, is not um, just simply biolo- you know, biology or medical language or whatever. This is actually pretty closely connected to covenant language. And so let me, let me give a little bit of Israel's story here to kind of frame this language. When God called Abraham and Abraham's family in Genesis 12, he says, look, I'm choosing you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. And then to seal this covenant in Genesis 15, do you remember the strange scene that takes place? There's like animals that are cut in two and that are set. I mean, if you grew up in church and had flannel graph stuff, this would not have been one of the flannel graph stories. I mean, it would have freaked the kids out, you know. So there's Abraham, and here's a cow, you know, ripping it. You know. It just doesn't work so well. You would probably tell the Sunday school teacher to quit scaring the kids, you know. But this is the scene. There's animals that are cut in two, and Abraham walks through these animals, and, and, and you say, well, what's, what's that about? Is this some sort of weird ritual thing? It's picture language that's meant to communicate, I think, the strength of covenant. That it's almost, it's saying in a sense, look, if I ever break covenant with you, may I be broken in two. That I want to, I, I, am, I am saying that you'll be our God, we'll be your people, and if I ever break covenant with you, may we be broken in two. Death dead, not alive. Later on, Abraham's descendants become this people, right, and they're living in Egypt, and they get rescued out of Egypt. We've been talking a lot about that the last few weeks. 
because all of those echoes are there in Paul's writings. And, 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 and they get rescued, they, they get, you know, taken out of Egypt and they're journeying through the, promise, uh, through the wilderness and they're getting, about to get into the promised land. And you remember, that's what Deuteronomy is all about. It's sort of this recap. It's a refresher course. It's like, okay, guys, here we go. Um, a whole generation kind of died in the wilderness and before a new one goes in, let's recap. And so Deuteronomy is this remembering, this renewal of the covenant in, in, in many ways. And, and, and towards the end of it, it was our New Testament reading tonight, God says, okay, look, here's life and here's death. Choose life. Multiple choice, but the answer is A, you know? And, and, the, and the point is this, look, if you will stay as my covenant people, what you'll get by being part of me and my people is you get life. If you choose to try to do this on your own and say, no, I don't want that, what you're going to get by, by definition, because God is life, what you, choose, what you get when you choose to be on your own is death. What's interesting is that Israel goes into the land, they have judges and all this stuff, and eventually they get a king, and their first king was this dude named Saul, and he doesn't do so good, and so God says, all right, I've rejected your house, and I'm going to choose a king, and it's David. We all know, we, we know that flannel graph story, you know. So David shows up, and David does pretty good, and then he has a son named Solomon, and Solomon makes a mistake that David never had made. Do you know for all David's flaws, the one sin he never committed was idolatry? That he never was unfaithful to Yahweh in the sense of worshiping other gods. And that was significant to God. Solomon, on the other hand, you know, he starts dabbling with all these other religions. And so God says, look, Solomon, out of respect to your dad, I'm not going to rip the kingdom from you while you're still alive. But as soon as you're gone, when your son takes the throne, Israel's going to be divided. And that's exactly what happens. If you're familiar with the Old Testament story, Israel gets broken in two. Remember this image? If I ever break covenant with you, may I be broken into. Here's Israel, the nation, following other gods, worshiping other idols, and they get broken in two. Now, imagine then this awareness of, that we were the people of God, but we were unfaithful, and because of that, we're be, we're, we've been broken, and there's a death that sort of permeated our, 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 our um, nation and all this stuff. And then Jesus shows up one day, the faithful Israelite, and says, this is my body which is broken for you. I wonder if that language rang in their ears at all. Wait, 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 wait a second. Are you saying that, and what he, maybe they didn't fully get it until afterwards and they were reflecting back on it. Wait a second. Maybe Jesus was saying that he, representing Israel, took on our death, our deadness, let himself be broken. But here's the beauty of it. Because Jesus joins us in our death, we can join him in his life. That's the miracle of it, that here is Jesus saying, look, God in Christ is coming and saying, look, here am I. I, I will not, I, so great is my faithfulness as God that I'll even come as the Israelite and be faithful back, keep this covenant back. I'll take the weight of being broken. I'll take the weight of being dead. And so now when you are in me, because Jesus is risen, we get to have this life. That's amazing. So when Paul says we were dead, and then he says now we are alive, what he's saying is look, 
all of us who were outside, all of us who were distant, all of us who had no acts, all of us are now alive. We are, this is another way of saying, by saying we are alive, it's another way of saying we are now God's people. We're in. We're in Christ. We're alive to Him. We're in covenant with Him. That is good news, friends. That's amazing news. We were dead. We, were now, we are now alive because of Christ. And you say, okay, well, that's good. We were dead. We're alive. Let's go watch fireworks, you know? <laughs> is that sort of the end of the story? And Paul says this remarkable two verses that follow it in verse 6 and verse 7. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Whoa. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Look, what he's saying is, look, this end goal, the end goal is so that you could be seated with Christ, so that you can be with him. And in that, when that day comes where he restores all things and renews everything and sets it right, look, you're going to be the part of the ones that receive just this outpouring of his kindness. He, he's gonna, you're the, the picture, the thing that displays his own goodness and grace. What, what do you mean by that? You know, and we've talked about this a lot on Sunday nights, God's end goal is not that we escape earth and fly away to heaven. You know that, right? I know we've heard that, kind of, we kind of have that in our minds that it is that, but it's not that. that. The thing that Isaiah saw, the thing that John sees in Revelation is that one day God will renew, will make new again the earth and heaven and join it together. Here's a simple way to think about it. The end goal is just like the first day in the garden. The end is like the beginning. That's the plan. The plan is to have this this, this renewed, this world made new with human beings that reflect his image, that reign on it, that, that, that sit with Christ and take care of it and tend it. That's the picture that John sees in Revelation. That's the thing that Paul and Peter and all these guys are anticipating. When he says that God raised us up, he's hinting at the day that we will have bodily resurrection. Did you know that in, to the Christian, our body is not evil. We're not one of those people. We're not the people like Gnostics. Right? We, we don't believe that material or physical things are evil. Did you know that we don't believe that? Did you know that we believe that physical and material things are, are good? That God made it and called it good? Uh, so you don't have to feel bad when you enjoy a sunset in Colorado. It's all part of how he... It, it's not unspiritual to uh, enjoy a meal with friends or the taste of of something, you know, that, that's not unspiritual. Did, did you know that God's goal is that one day we'll get resurrected bodies and live with Him, be raised up with Christ? I do think that's amazing. Do you know that what God has done for Jesus by giving Him this resurrected bodies, He will do for us and for the whole world itself? Yes. And so the end is not us floating on a cloud. The end is us sitting with Christ, reigning with Him, tending to His good and perfect world, now made new again. And there's that interesting phrase where he says, and, and, and in order that He may show us all of His kindness and His grace. I think it's a little bit like this. We'll look on that day and say, oh my gosh, how did Josh get there? I mean, I remember Josh. He was kind of struggling and, you know, like, but now he's like God's image-bearing ruler in the new, this, you know, he's like seated with Christ. Whoa! And God says, I know. It's because I've been showering my grace on him. I mean, look at that. 
He made it. You made it. And maybe you look back and say, how did Glenn make it? Like, what in the world? How? What? And, 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 and I'll be a picture of God's grace. Because in the end, that's where we're going. That's the goal. That's God's goal for us. Now, if you're like me and you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, okay, well, that's, okay, you know, talk about cosmic, huge, wide-angle lens. That's like too cosmic for me, you know. And, and, and furthermore, here I am right here and now, and I'm struggling with being patient with my kids. I'm struggling with being patient with my spouse. I'm str- How in the world am I going to get from here to there? How's that going to happen? It's going to happen because we've been made alive. That we who once were dead have now been made alive and this life is at work in us so that one, so much so that one day that life is going to break through us and we're going to get completely living, fresh body. It's like, whoa, it's going to take over. It's going to win. The life that is at work in you is going to break through and break out. It's God who's working in us. Now, I... I don't know what it's like when you go to the mall and you see a mannequin, but uh, mannequins can sometimes be uh, mocking. They don't, they don't talk, obviously, but usually, you know, there you are with your hat and your sweatshirt, and, uh, and the mannequin's usually always really well-dressed, like my friend over here, Manny. Here, roll him over here, Wes. Thank you, Wes. Um, whoop, easy now, mannequin. Easy, Manny. Um, now, now, this mannequin looks... Bears a striking resemblance to Pastor Aaron Stern. Um, I, I'm not really sure why, how that happened. Um, no. But, but, but mannequins, are, they're usually also well put together, and they've got, you know, matching outfit, and, and he looks much nice. He's much better dressed than I am tonight. I said that in the morning service, and someone goes, yeah, no kidding. It's like, dude, take it easy, man. I'm just, just an illustration. But, you know, much better dressed and much better, much better put together, and and, and really, you, you know, the mannequin probably has a really, shall we say, chiseled abs, you know, literally. And is, it, you know, probably this nice broad shoulders. And, and, and here I am next to this mannequin, and I've got not so much the chiseled look. And, um, and the mannequin looks better than I do and has, is, you know, maybe a better physique, broader shoulders probably. And, um, but the mannequin has one serious flaw. It's not alive. I mean, it's not alive. I mean, really, it's not. If I were to say, hey, hey, dude, relax, man. It's Sunday night. We don't do the coat thing, you know. We really don't even do the, the tie thing. I mean, would you lighten up and take that coat off? Stay a while? Have a drink? Dude, what's, the, what's the matter with you? The mannequin, he can't do anything. He can't change his clothes. He can't, you know, he's static. And I think when we have in our minds sometimes the, the picture of what we're supposed to be or the picture of perfection, what we envision is something that's perfect and, and, and well put together and, and well dressed and, and static and not alive. Later on in Ephesians, Paul's going to say a few key phrases in Ephesians 4 where he'll say things like, you need to put off anger and selfishness and you need to put on humility those are action verbs are we, are we going to have to cooperate with God and his work in us yes is it going to happen automatically can we be in cruise no no no, no. We, there is this involvement there is this this work that we do with him but 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 here's the thing we can't even talk about putting off and putting on if we're not yet alive our mannequin friend cannot change his clothes he can't put off anything he can't put on anything he's just there that's just him. There's nothing he can do 
about it. And that's why before we even, we're going to talk about the way that we should live. And we're going to talk about quote-unquote ethics or morality. We're going to talk about all those things. But before we can get there, what Paul wants us to see is, look, what Jesus has done for us is we were dead, but we are now alive. And because we're alive, there's going to be the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to put off and put on and to unlearn certain habits and learn some new habits. There's going to be that. And is it going to be a process? Absolutely. Is it going to be a journey? Oh, you know it's going to be a journey. But how do we know that we're going to get from here to there? Because life is at work in you and me. It reminds me of one of my favorite uh, books from the Chronicles of Narnia. Any Chronicles of Narnia fans in the house? C.S. Lewis. I mean, just great. And I, I reread, oh, I read all seven of them last year. They're amazing. I mean, they're they're for kids of, of all ages, really. And 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 uh, I mean, they're just amazing. They're they're so moving. And um, the partic- this particular book that I'm thinking of is called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And they're on this ship, and they're taking different adventures. And you know, if you're familiar with it, you know this. Uh, it was before the Star Trek thing of visiting planets and having an adventure on that planet and going on. But, but similar in the idea, only way cooler. Um, so they would sail to a different island, have an adventure, and then go on to another. You know. So they get to this one island, and there's this boy named Eustace, and, which is, I, I guess, a good British name. But, um, but Eustace, and, and as so many of the Narnia stories, are all about kids. And so Eustace is this kid who's kind of annoying. He's really selfish. And, and uh, when he's sick, he wants everyone to pay attention to him. He's very, very self-absorbed, and he's sort of this picture of a punk, really, you know. And they get to this island, and, and, and uh, Eustace wanders off on his own, and he's having a little pity party, whatever, and, and he discovers this cave, and in this cave is all this gold and stuff, and he thinks there's a dragon in the cave, and, but, but, but he gets excited, and he starts hoarding all the stuff, and he keeps it to himself, and he's really enjoying it, and then he falls asleep, and, and when he wakes up, he doesn't realize it at first until he bends over to get, get a drink, but he's become the dragon. I mean, he's become, and, and you can see where this imagery is going. He's sort of become this ugly, destructive creature because of the selfishness inside of him. Well, but except that Eustace thinks it's kind of cool at first. You know, he's like, oh, I'm a dragon. You know, he's flying. He can see the whole island, all this stuff. And then he realizes there's a major drawback to being a dragon, and that is your old friends don't really want to be around you. And so, I mean, so I hear. Um, so, so Eustace, is, is, he's, he's done with this dragon thing, and he, he, he wants it off of him. And so in the middle of the night, he, start, he gets to this place and he starts trying to scrape off these dragon scales. And he's scraping it off and he's ripping it off. And he gets to the point where he gets it pretty good and it starts to come off. And, 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 and he's like, okay, here we go. And then it starts to come back on. And it's, it just grows right back on. Okay? Sort of reminds you of New Year's resolutions, right? I'm going to do this. Oh, wait, you know. There go the pounds. Back on. No. Okay, so, so the dragon scales are back on him and he, and he keeps it. And finally, Aslan, which in the Narnia stories is this lion that represents Christ. Aslan says, Eustace, you're going to have to let me do it. He says, okay. And so Aslan begins to claw and rip, and it hurts. I mean, it's like, ooh, this is painful. But he rips off all the dragon scales, and he's a boy again. And he, you know, takes this dip in the water and comes out. And I love the way the story continues after that, because listen to this paragraph. It would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from that time forth Eustace was a different boy. But to be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses, 
And there were still many days when he could be very tiresome, which is kind of a nice British way of saying he was a punk. But most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun. I love that. The cure had begun. Because we are in Christ, life is now pushing up through the dirt. There is green. There is signs of life. You know, the first moments when something living in your garden that's good that you want, not a weed, you know, the first thing that you planted with a seed starts pushing through the dirt. It's breaking out. The cure has begun. Life is at work in you. And you may be here tonight and you're thinking, well, man, I don't know. I mean, sometimes it feels like two steps forward, one step back. It feels like there's this and that. I feel like I'm not really changing. And and, and I look at other Christians and I think, oh, man, I'm never going to get there. Or maybe what's worse, you look at people who aren't in Christ and you think, well, I mean, they seem to be much further along than I, you know. But here's the thing. There's a difference between being sort of well-formed but static and, and dead. That has a limit to it. But when Christ... When you're in Christ and you've been made alive and life is breaking through you, it gives you hope that one day you're going to get to that place that God has in mind for us, the place of being, we are now seated with him. This life is going to break through. Think of it this way. One day there will be new creation and God renews it all. But Paul uses that exact phrase to say new creation has begun now in you. In your heart. Even now, it's not just something in the future, but even now, life is breaking out in you. Even now, life is breaking through. Even now, new creation has begun in your heart. And you may not fully see it, but believe me, the place that once was dead, the place that was barren, the place that was dry, the place that was a wasteland, that was a cemetery, is starting to come alive. Life is breaking through because the cure has begun. That's good news. That's good news. That says, okay, Holy Spirit, thank you. Then if it has begun, then please, I want to keep cooperating with you. Yeah, I want to learn new habits and unlearn some old ones and all this. I want to keep working with you and letting you do your work in me. But here's the good news. We were dead. We are now alive. And we are raised with Christ. We have this hope that's coming. And we know that it's going to be there because the cure has begun. And maybe you know people or, or you yourself maybe have had the impression that coming to God is this um, command to rip the dragon scales off yourself. It's sort of this, okay, well, oh, you want to be serious about God now? Well, okay, well, why don't you just start by da 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 And we, you, you've had the impression that the starting point is behavior reform. That the first place to begin is behavior reform. And so I've got to change this and change this. And I, but I don't know if you've discovered this, but it just keeps coming back. Because the place to start is not behavior reform. The place to start is to come alive. To acknowledge our deadness outside of Christ. And to say, all right, I surrender. I give up. I can't. Now come, let me be in you so that I'll come Alive, alive, alive. And maybe you've been walking with Christ for a long time and you're here and you're like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fully in and I love the Lord, but, but change is slow in coming, okay? Yeah. 
we all have different timetables. The Lord's working with us. And there's certainly ways that we can cooperate. I'm not at all suggesting that we go into cruise control. I'm not saying that. But what I want us to hear tonight is that the cure has begun. It's beginning to work. Life is breaking in, breaking out of your heart, even in the places that were dead. And so you may be discouraged. Oh, man, I just, oh, man, I just, you know. It's, it's okay. You once were dead. You are now alive. And you're headed for this glorious future. Life is at work in you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your graciousness that you are rich in mercy that as this passage said though we could have been objects of your wrath that we could have deserved that you chose instead to shower us with love and mercy and make a way to come alive Lord for any of us who are here that have been sort of trying trying this, the, the path of reform on our own we want to confess that we can't do that. that. That's not what comes first. What comes first is letting you make us alive. And for the rest of us who are on this journey with you, we know you mean for us to be transformed. You mean for us to become different. God, help us to not be discouraged, but to see the signs of life that's breaking out in our hearts. Places that were dead, places that were messy soil, Help us to see the green shoots of life breaking out in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you that the cure has begun. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's thank God.